Okay, we come to that moment in time again in our service. We're going to talk a little bit about child dedication. I need a couple of volunteers to help me pass these out because I didn't get here in time to give to Brother Tony. All right, we do that. Just give every one that wants to want. So I got to come around and pass those out to you because I had them in my bag, forgot to give them out, didn't get quite here in time. So we talked briefly about this. First of all, uh, we shared about it last week, and this is that moment in time for the family concerned where they say, this child, we want to raise them in the Lord. And as a body, we commit ourselves to support them as they do that, to be good examples so that they know that their, ch their children will have the direction, the correction, the love from this body that uh, we intend. Now today, in particular, we are focusing on an aspect of worship. And so I want you to realize that as we do this, we are declaring the worth of God and saying that it is worthwhile to follow the Lord. It is worthwhile to embrace the teachings of God. It is worthwhile to listen to what it is that God would have to say to anyone of any age. And children, of course, begin their journey fairly innocent. They begin their journey fairly innocent. And then somewhere along the road, they have to figure out for themselves that it's the right thing to do to follow the Lord. So we are not baptizing children today. We are not making a decision for them to follow the Lord today. But we are committing ourselves, one and all, the family in question, the parents of the children, in this case, extended family, and the body, to work together to give this child every opportunity to grow up knowing the Lord and to serve the Lord. Okay? And so today we're actually dedicating uh, Caleb, and Zayden. So if uh, the family would come forward. Oh, yeah, Zayden. Well, All right. And then, so so as to greatly clutter the room, if the extended family would now come forward. Come, on. Well, come up to the front of the room. Oh, you're falling. All right, can you carry me? Hold yeah, come up here, son. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is what it should look like during the invitation time at the end of the church. All right. Okay. So as we as we do this. I will read the part where it says Pastor Dan. That won't surprise anybody. Um, and then RJ and Alicia will read the part where it says parents. Uh, then we all will read the part where it says extended family. And then and you will read the part where it says congregation. Okay? All right. Here we go. God has entrusted you with a magnificent responsibility. We lovingly accept this responsibility. Okay, hold up for a second. Jason. Jason. Let him go. Jason. You're going to stop. Listen, Jason. Caleb, come here. You're disrupted to everything that's going on right now. Okay, buddy, so I'm just going to calm down. All right. 
Hey, Jason. It's your responsibility to help raise your younger brothers too, right? You're with us on this, okay? Okay. All right, we're going to start again. Sorry. All right. God has entrusted you with a magnificent responsibility. We lovingly accept this responsibility. We lovingly accept this responsibility as well. We will help you. God has given you the gift of life. We will protect and nurture this gift. We will also protect and nurture this gift. We will help you. God expects you to teach children through the example of a godly life. We will strive to live lives consistent with God's word before our children. We will also strive to live lives consistent with God's word before them. We will provide godly examples before the children as well. Children are like a clean slate. A child must learn right from wrong and how to hear the direction of God. We dedicate ourselves to the teaching of the ways of Christ and the love of his church to our children. We will assist you. We will assist you as well. Very good. We're going to pray together at this time. Father in heaven, we realize that you have put on us an amazing responsibility to stand for what is right, to represent you as your holy church, your holy family, your holy arm, your individual holy servant here on earth. Lord, help us to be just and right and kind, be merciful and sharing, and giving and serving. Lord, help us. And then the great blessing of having children as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, having children to lead, that they may see our model, our example, to govern, to correct, and we pray, Lord, that you would allow us to lead them towards you. Help us to be a good example, not a bad one, because we can just basically do both. That we as individuals, as parents of, the, of these children, of Caleb and of Zayna, and also Lord of Jason, he doesn't remember his dedication, I'm sure. Lord, we pray that this family would be able to be a good example, and then that this church would be able to surround our day and Alicia, and especially Jason, Caleb, and Zayden, with good, positive examples. And that they might know you, and live far beyond us for your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much. Yay.
Hello, everyone. Hello. <clears throat> I'm glad to see everyone got here safe. My drive was pretty interesting. I kept hitting random patches of ice, and my car wanted to do its own thing. So it was a little, little sketchy this morning. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I had, I had that happen. I went to hit the brakes and I just kept on going. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not stopping. Um, actually, I did it with I, I, right after I picked up Anthony on one of the little side roads. We just kept on going. Um, so how many of you have done something bad? Everybody, Everybody right? Everybody. Okay, now... How many of you have done something bad to somebody, like stolen something or lied to somebody, and then you had to go back and face that person? Mm -hmm. That is not some. A lot of the times, that is not the easiest thing in the world, is it? Because you have to go to that person and say, "Hey, look, I stole from you, or I lied to you," and it's a very awkward position, right? It puts you in a very awkward position. And as Christians, when we get saved. We're supposed to, if we wrong somebody, we're supposed to just come right out and say, hey, look, I messed up. And then we're supposed to ask for forgiveness, right? Well, before I got saved, I lied all the time. I stole. And I was very good at manipulation. I could manipulate things and situations to make it turn out exactly how I wanted it. Um, so there was a lot of times where I've lied to someone, and cheated my way through things just to get the result I wanted. And there was one time where I did it, and I actually got busted, and it was one of my, at the times, he was like my best friend. And trying to admit to him that I screwed up was extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And he didn't even find out until almost a year later is when he finally figured it out. So a whole year went by, almost, and he had never known that I stole something from him. And then when he finally figured it out, I had to admit to him, look, I messed up, man, I'm sorry. And luckily we were still able to be friends after that. He forgave me. But I never understood why. I never understood how, how you could be so forgiving of someone who is supposed to be your best friend, how, how it's so easy for him to forgive me even though I stole from him. And he wasn't saved. He, to this day, as far as I know, still isn't. But he's just a nice guy. So I never understood that even though you do these things in your life that you know are bad and you have to come forth and say and confess it, like, look, and how... People can be so forgiving. I was the type I didn't like forgiving. I, I would hold grudges. And some would say that I'm like a woman when it comes to that because I know a lot of women that can hold grudges forever. And there's a lot of times where me and my buddy will get into an argument. Ten minutes later, you wouldn't even know. And everyone that I've talked to said, oh, well, that's just a guy thing. That's just how guys are. Guys get into a fight and ten minutes later, they're perfectly fine. Well, that's not how I was. I would hold grudges. And I would make sure whoever hurt me knew that they messed up. 
I would bring it up all the time. And I never really realized how bad that hurt that person. Especially if they have apologized for it. I never really, never really thought about how bad that hurt that person. Of me constantly bringing it up over and over and over again. Like, well, remember this, what you did. So, after I got saved, I realized that, you know, this isn't, that's not what we should do. We shouldn't, we shouldn't browbeat people over their past. Over what they did in their past. We should be forgiving, right? We should be loving and kind. And accept them for who they are. When I first started coming to the church, I, I always felt like I wasn't accepted. Because I always felt like an outsider. Because I didn't, want any, I didn't even want to be there most of the time. So I always felt like an outsider. And then I, I learned over the couple years that it, that's not how it is. And that, I, that brought me joy. I was really happy. I was like, cool, these people are actually really nice. And... So it, it brought me joy to realize that there are people out there that are Christians that are actually living like they're supposed to be. Even though they have their flaws, even though they have their scars, they're still doing whatever they can to make sure that they're living for God to the best of their abilities. And when I was preparing this, I came to this book and it's one chapter it's a whole 20 something verses and I was like I, I was for a while I was trying to find the significance of why this one book was in here why this one short letter was in here and as we read through part of it I'm not going to read the whole thing because I mostly just wanted a couple of the verses but I, I, I was trying and trying my hardest to find out why this was so important it had to be in here and when I figured it out, it, it caught me off guard because it's not what I was expecting. Um, a little bit of background about Philemon. He was a slave owner, and he had a slave that had stolen from him and then ran away. And then as he ran away, he ran into Paul. And everyone knows who Paul is. Well, he ran into Paul, and then Paul ministered to him, and he became saved. He became a Christian. And then he was told that he had to go back to Philemon, who, by, mind you, back in this day, if you stole from, and uh, Philemon at the time was a slave owner, and if you stole from your master, it was punishable by death. So it means he was, Paul told him he had to go back to Philemon, and he could be killed for what he did, because he stole. And the punishment for that was death. So, Imagine, imagine if you stole from somebody and you know if you got caught, you, you would die. There's like no questions about it. You will die if you get caught. And then you get saved and you get told that, hey, look, you need to go back to that person that you stole from and make things right. That would be terrifying. Especially if you don't know what the outcome is going to be. I mean, he could, he could order you to death because you stole from him. That would be terrifying. I would be terrified. I'd be like, uh, can I just stay here, please? I don't want to go over there. I, don't, I, I like my life right now. I don't want to die. But as a Christian, he has to make it right. right. And sometimes when we have to make things right, it is a very difficult and very scary thing to do. So... Paul wrote this while he was in prison, and um, 
I, like I said, trying to find the significance of why this one short letter was in here, I, I found it to be really amazing. It was really interesting to me. Um, so I'm going to start actually in verse 8. I almost said chapter 8, but that wouldn't make sense because there's only the one. But I'm going to start in Philemon verse 8. Man. Finally. <laughs> and I'm going to be reading from NIV today. It says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the bias of love, I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So right away, and right here, Paul tells him, I could be, I could order you to do what you're supposed to as a Christian. But instead he doesn't. He writes to him in an appeal. He pleads, basically, for what he's about to say later. So he's asking. He's not telling him, he's asking. And I found that to be very interesting because when you're supposed to be holding someone accountable, you're supposed to be telling them how to, how to help their situations, how to make them stronger, how to grow them. And instead, he's just asking. So that, that kind of hit me. I was like, okay, well, then why wouldn't he just say, hey, look, you're a Christian. This is what you're supposed to do. And because he's coming at him in love. He's coming at him in love and saying, and later we'll find out why. Um, I'm going to continue in 10. It says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. So now he says that and Onesimus was the slave that ran away and stole from him. He says, he was once useless to you. So, obviously, if someone steals from you and runs away, they're no longer of use. But then he goes on to say that he is useful to both me and you now. Because once you're a Christian, you are useful to every Christian around you. In some way or another, you are useful to that person. You might have certain tasks that you're better at that someone else is not good at, and then you work together, and now you're both good at something. So he emphasizes the fact that he is now useful as a brother in Christ. I'm going to continue in 12. I am sending him who is, my, who is, in, who is my very heart back to you, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. So he's sending Onesimus back so that when Philemon sees him, he won't feel forced to do something. Because, think about it. If you're forced to do something you really don't want, you don't get a great outcome from it, do you? Like, shoveling snow, for example. When you're forced to go into work and shovel snow, 
not something you really want to do, especially if it's early in the morning or late at night. It's not something you really would want to do. But it's your job and you have to do it. But now if you find out all of a sudden that, hey, you just got $1,000, that would make you feel happy, right? So he doesn't want Philemon to feel forced. And I found it kind of interesting that Paul said that he did not want to do anything without his consent. So he's asking permission. Although, like, like he said before, he could, he could be bold and order him to do what he is supposed to. Instead, he is asking him permission. And then I'm going to continue in 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So again, Paul emphasizes that he is good now. He is not the person that he was before. And that's how we're supposed to be when we get saved, right? We're not supposed to be that same person we were before. We're supposed to be changed. We're supposed to be new. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. We're supposed to be made new in Christ. So if you have ever done anything that you know you should go back to that person and try to make it right, then that's what you should be doing. You should be trying to make your situation right so that your heart can be more focused on God and doing what He wants for you instead of being focused on what you did in the past. When I first became a Christian, that was the hardest thing for me is to give up my past. Because I loved it. I thought I was having fun going out partying with friends. I thought I was having fun. I thought that was the good life. Not a care in the world. And I did a lot of very stupid things. It was funny. Me and my wife were actually talking about on the way here. I didn't have enough fingers and toes in my car to count the amount of times that I'd done something stupid. And... I legitimately probably should not even be alive right now with some of the things I've done. But God had a plan. And now that I'm a Christian, I see that. And I, look, I, I was looking back at all the things I did before, and I'm like, man, I should really go back and I should talk to some of the people I've hurt and try to make things right again. And I, did, I struggled with that for a long time. And I didn't put too much focus on God at that time. I was more focused on trying to figure out how I was going to make all these wrongs right. Instead of, you know, all right, I'm a Christian now. I'm going to help let God make all my wrongs right. There you go. Because that's the only way we're going to make any wrong that we've done right is with God. We're not going to be able to do it by ourselves. Continuing in 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
So now Paul says, okay, I'll even make it better. If he owes you anything, if he is wrong, if he, is, if he owes you anything, I will pay it back. Now, how many of you want to pay back something that someone else stole? I'm sorry, I don't have, I don't have that kind of resources sometimes. I mean, would I like to help people? Yes, I would love to help. But the way I was raised, and I don't know if it's, but I was raised, if you steal, you make it right. You don't bank on someone else to make it right for you. That was one of the hardest things when I became a Christian. I was, I was so worried about me making it right. I had to make it right. Instead of letting someone else do it for me. Mm-hmm. So he tells Philemon that I will pay it back. So he is willing to pay back what was owed. Now think about this. This is exactly what Jesus did with us. He died. He paid the cost for us. He paid off our debts so that we can get into heaven. Right? Jesus died on the cross so that we can get into heaven so we can have our debts paid. So that means every wrong thing you've done or every wrong thing you've even thought about doing is paid for. Every time you've stolen, every time you've cheated, lied, all that is paid for. As long as you follow Jesus. And continuing in verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So Paul tells him, knowing that you will do even more so. He is confident that his brother in Christ is going to do what he is supposed to do. That's why he doesn't order him to do it. That's why he asks him to do it. Because he is confident that his brother in Christ is going to do the right thing. He didn't, he didn't order him to do it. He was asked. Now when you get, when you take, say this for example, when you get saved, did someone order you to do it? Did someone say, hey, you have to do this? Yeah, in a, in a sense. But whose choice really was it? It was yours. The person saying that this is what you have to do is confident that God is going to work in your life to give you the strength to do it. He's not going to... The, the, whoever is preaching, whether it's me, Daniel, whoever else... We're not saying you need to follow Jesus as a command. Not necessarily as a command. But we're trying to say it because we're confident that 100% sure that God will make sure that if you become a Christian, you will be taken care of for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It's, not an, it's not an order. It's not something that we're trying to force upon you and beat you down to the ground with. It is eventually, it is all comes down to a choice that you have to make. So this whole thing eventually came down to a choice on whether Philemon was going to take his slave back or not. A slave who stole from him and could be ordered to death comes back and asks for forgiveness. 
So now, why is this so important? Why is this letter so important? Because when Paul wrote this, he's trying to emphasize the importance of forgiveness. He is trying to make people realize that no matter how bad someone hurts you, no matter how much it hurts to let someone else back in your life, you have to forgive them. Especially if that person becomes saved. Because then you guys can work together and grow in the Lord together. I know I've said this story before, but it's a story that sticks with me because it's very, very powerful. And there was a drunk driver who had killed a woman's daughter. And now they work together every weekend. They go to different schools and prisons and everything to talk about drunk driving. She stands next to the man who killed her daughter. And they have seen amazing things. I've seen some of the stories about people getting saved at schools. People accepting Christ at schools because of what they have told people about how important it is to forgive someone that has wronged you. Now, you don't necessarily have to forgive them and let them in your life. If all they're going to do is hurt you and beat you down some more, then it's fine to say, look, I forgive you, but we can no longer have conversations anymore. I no longer need you in my life because you are affecting the way I work for God. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of, these, some of these people might call you their friend. But if your friend is trying to make you do things that you know are not right, you have to ask yourself, are they really true friends or not? The friend that tries to force you to do drugs or tries to force you to drink when you're not supposed to? You have to ask yourself, is this really a friend? Is this really someone who I should be hanging out with? Because all that person's going to do is lead you down a road of destruction. Now, friends are important to have in life, though, right? And you got to have friends. Friends are awesome. I love having friends. I don't have a whole lot of friends because a whole lot of my friends don't like the fact that I'm a Christian. A lot of them, actually. And a lot of my family doesn't like it either. But there's nothing wrong with having friends. You just have to be very careful that if you are talking with friends and you hear them start talking about things that they shouldn't be, I hear it all the time at Madhouse and it drives me up a wall about how these teenagers are talking about stuff that they don't even know about. It drives me crazy because, I mean, because you, you have these kids that are growing up listening to this stuff on the media that's destroying it. They're, the, they're growing up in a world where they think it's perfectly okay to downgrade women. To say that, oh, well, this is a man's world. No, it's not. This is God's world. Amen. This is not man's world. There's no such thing as a man's world. 
I've seen women do things that are, a guy couldn't even think about doing. A, want giving birth. It's been proven that a guy, it's been proven that guys cannot physically handle the pain of childbirth. And they have done it on some of the toughest people. Toughest guys. They cannot physically handle the pain of childbirth. But that's how God created it. God created women and men so that we both, we all, can work together in Christ. And that was another thing that Paul is trying, I feel anyways, that he's trying to get with this letter. This one letter, this short letter. I mean, if you look at some of the other letters he wrote, they're very, very long. And this is a very short letter. But he's, I, I feel that he is trying to push the fact that we need to work together as Christians. We need to stop trying to shove people out of our life just because we don't agree with what they, what they do. If they are following Christ and they are trying to live for God, it does not matter what they do. If they're doing it for God, then we need to help them do it. If, it, if they're doing it to benefit the kingdom of God, then we need to do everything we can to stand right there with them. No matter what they did in the past, it does not matter what they did before. It does not matter who they were before they came here. If they are a follower in Christ, we need to be working together as one body. Isn't that what we're called, the church, is one body of Christ? How can we function if we're too worried about, oh, well, this person does this and I don't necessarily like that. Or this person talks this way and I don't like that. Everyone's so worried about the little nitpick things that we have missed the big picture. And that is we are all one in Christ. We are all one in Jesus. And if we can't work as one, we are going to fall apart. I've heard way too many stories about churches dying because of some reason or another. There's so many churches out there that are dying off because of whatever reason. But I'm here to tell you, if we stand up for God as one church, as one body, we will never die off. We will be here forever. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. I had the hiccups for a second. I want to ask you guys something. If you all were to die tomorrow, would you know where you're going? If you were to die tomorrow, would you know where you're going in the end? If you don't, that's scary. It's scary not to know whether or not you're going to get into heaven. But I got news for you. If you follow God, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will get into heaven. It might not look pretty when you get there because you're going to have this book laid out in front of you like here's all your, here's, a, here's everything, your whole life. And it's going to be a really big book. 
There's going to be lots and lots of things. But you know what? If I know I'm getting into heaven, that's not going to phase me one bit. Like, look, God, I know I've messed up all these times. This huge, huge book. Millions of pages of stuff that I did wrong. But you know what? I kept your son Jesus in my heart the whole time. And I tried every single day to make sure that you were number one in my life. You're going to get in. And that's all it takes. Yeah, we're going to mess up. That is the power of forgiveness. God will forgive you for every single thing you did. That is why He sent Jesus to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. So that we had that entrance into heaven. Because I'm sorry, there's not an amount of good works on this planet that could get you in. There's not, there's, you could, you could do good your entire life. But you cannot get in unless you accept Jesus as your Savior. And in this book, Paul emphasizes that fact. Because here's a man who was a slave, who stole, and then ran away, got saved, and now is willing to go back and ask for forgiveness. There's three things that I, I got out of this that were I, I felt were really, really important to me. And I, I felt that just changed my view a lot on how important it is to study your Bible. Because I learned a lot from this one, what is it, 25 verses? I learned a lot from it. And one, that one thing that I found is never stop working for Jesus. Paul was in jail. He was in shackles in a prison still ministering to people. Still doing God's work. Mind you, he was there wrongly. But he was in prison still ministering to people and still trying to lead people to Christ. And nowadays in this world, we're too busy playing on our video games to get out of the house and get, let people get saved. Or we're too busy, oh, I'm so tired, I had a rough night. Get over it. There's no excuse to stop us from doing the work that God has for us. I mean, if a man in prison... Knowing that he does not belong there, if a man in prison is willing to sit there in prison and still do God's work, then what is our excuse? What is our excuse? Why, why aren't we out there every single day? And I'm talking to myself here too. Why am I not out there every single day trying to see people come to Jesus? There's no excuse for it. You, you might have all these reasons, but it's, they're not good enough excuses. I, I have heard stories about people lying on their deathbed, moments from death, still trying to see people get saved. There was a story I read while I was studying this about a, um, an old man 
who was a very, very mean old man. A very nasty old man in his whole life. He didn't really have much family because his whole family didn't like him because he was a very mean old man. Well, he had gotten cancer and it was really, really bad. And he was dying really, really fast. And one of the nurses was in there and he was being mean and nasty. And she led him to Christ. While he was being mean and nasty, she still led him to Christ. And the next day, he apologized to every single person in that hospital. Because of how mean he was. So, you could be lying on your deathbed and still accept Jesus Christ and go into heaven, right? But now this old man, I think he was, what did it say, 80. 283, something like that. He was in his 80s. He was, a, he was an old man. Always, never been saved. Always mean. I mean, I, all his family was saying the same thing. There was a couple of videos I found on there about it too. It's a very interesting story. But, this old man gets saved while he's on his deathbed. And the next day, he apologizes to every person in the hospital for being mean. And then there was a doctor that had came in that was there. And this doctor was talking to this guy. Well, this doctor didn't believe in God. And this old man led that doctor to Christ the next day after he accepted Jesus. Three hours later, that old man died. There is power in doing the work for God. But we are too busy coming up with excuses and reasons why we can't do it. The second thing is just stay humble. Stop putting your wants above everything else. We should be putting what God wants above everything. Not our own wants and our own needs. I'm sorry, you don't need a video game. You don't need a cell phone. You don't, you don't even need a roof over your head. And yeah, there, it's nice to have a roof over your head. I'm not gonna lie. I like going home and knowing that it's going to be warm when I get there. But you don't need it. We have to stay humble. We have to make sure that our wants don't get in the way with what God wants. And that's part of the problem with drugs that you see every day. All these people that are dying of heroin overdoses, they put that drug above everything. That drug is a God in their life. Money is another one. Money is a God in a lot of people's lives. <coughs> I'm telling you, you can't buy happiness. You might think you can, but you can't buy happiness. Happiness doesn't grow on trees. And no matter how hard you fight for what you want, if you don't put it aligned with God, you will never get exactly what you want. And then the third thing is, is 
Forgive no matter how bad it hurts. No matter how bad it hurts, you have to forgive people. Jesus says that we should forgive 77 times 7. Which, if you do the math, that's a whole lot of times. Jesus says that we have to forget. There, there's, I don't remember exactly where it's at, but it, someone asked, how many times should, she forget? We, should we forgive our brother? And Jesus goes, 77 times 7. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do the math, that... I don't know. That's just what he... Yeah. So there's no limit to how many times you can forgive somebody. You can't say, oh, well, you've done, you've done me wrong twice, and you know what, I, I'm not going to forgive you no more. No, that's not how it works. You forgive that person. Um, a great example that I have for my life is my wife. I have put that woman through so much in the first two years we were married. But she always forgave me. Always. Every time, no matter what I did. I had a friend that I talked to a lot in high school sending me pictures of her in nothing but a bra and underwear, sometimes with nothing. I never deleted them. I just left them in the messages, but I never thought to delete them. She still forgave me. She still came back. And for the two years of our marriage, I never understood why. How can you hurt somebody so many times and then they still forgive you? And they still come back? I just never understood how someone could be that forgiving. And it wasn't until I accepted Jesus that I figured it out. That we are just humans living on this earth, messing everything up. When God first created man and woman, it was supposed to be perfect. We were supposed to have everything we needed. But we messed it up. And all we've been doing ever since then is messing it up. Because people are too stubborn to realize that we cannot live for ourselves. And then we hurt all these people, and then we do all these bad things to people, and yet we think it's perfectly okay. We think it's all right if you tell a little white lie. But that little white lie just keeps snowballing into bigger and bigger and bigger lies. It's never just one. Never. Never is it just one little lie. Especially when, you, when the person that you're lying to starts catching on to it. Because then you have to think on your feet and go, oh no, i got to come up with something else. It's a never-ending cycle. And what kills me is it's the same thing that these people were doing 2,000 plus years ago. Why is it that we have to be so stubborn and hard-headed to not realize what we are doing. And 2,000 plus years ago, these people were doing the exact same things we are. 
And we have an entire book. This whole book tells us exactly what we're supposed to be doing and how to do it, how to apply it to our lives. And yet that TV remote is a lot easier. Or that video game controller. It's a lot easier to just kick back and relax and watch that TV and all the junk you see on the media. Instead of opening your Bible and reading. I started a reading plan on my little version Bible, which is actually a really interesting reading plan. I've, I think I'm on day five or six. But you read one full chapter out of the New Testament. And then on the seventh day, you read a chapter out of the Old Testament that um, is, it relates to those six chapters. I thought that was cool. And it's a good way to read through the whole Bible without reading it cover to cover. I'm on day six and I've only done it twice. I've missed four days. Because when I got home, I, would, I wanted to turn my TV on instead. Or I wanted to play my games. As I said earlier, there is no amount to what you can do with God's power. God's power is limitless. There's no no end to it, right? And I feel that the power of forgiveness is extremely strong too. And the only reason I say that is because of things I have experienced in my own life about how the power of forgiveness can completely change a person. If it wasn't for my wife forgiving me for all the crap I put her through, I probably would have never gotten saved. Because I wouldn't have asked those questions like, why is this still happening? Why is this person still in my life? Then I got saved and I... I, I asked myself for a while after that, why does Jesus care about me so much? Why does this man who died 2,000 years ago know exactly how my life is right now? I never understood it, and it drove me crazy. How someone could die for someone that they don't even know just so they can get into heaven. It's because Love is a powerful thing. We are all children. We are God's children. Don't matter if you're 80, don't matter if you're 5. You are a child in God's eyes. Because He's a lot older than everyone. So if we are children in Christ, what happens when you don't obey your parents? Yeah. My, my parents, leather belt. That was the go-to, the leather belt. Or, or a twig off the tree. Now, imagine what God can do to your life if you don't obey Him. If He has all the power in the universe, imagine what God can do if you don't obey Him. You want to know why we struggle? Why the world is such a terrible place? It's because we don't obey God. We don't do what we want because God will not 
interfere with our free will. Sometimes I wish you would. I, I sometimes I really do. I really wish you would. Be like, just what? Come on! Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of the times where I felt that, where I felt that smack in the back of the head. Who here watches NCIS? The Gib slap. <laughs> you get that smack in the back of your head, going, "Hey, you are not doing what I created you to do." Out of our own warpage of the world, we don't care. We don't want to forgive those who've wronged us. We don't want to do God's work. And now look at now look at the world. It's falling apart. The last thing that I'm going to say in conclusion is this whole letter, this short letter, is an exact rep- representation of what Jesus did for us. That is what blew my mind about this. This one thing that Paul writes about to this man is the exact thing that Jesus did for us. We have stolen, we have cheated, we have lied. And now we have to go back to Jesus and say, look, I know I've sinned against you and I know I've messed it up and I know that I've done things that are just ungodly. And you know what? I want you to forgive me. And God has the power to kill you where you stand. It's not telling me if that's not scary to think about. When you go and say, look, God, I have stolen. And back then the penalty was death. And now you have to go to God and say, look, I messed up. It's scary. But afterwards, it's the best feeling in the world knowing that you have a God that loves you and cares about you. And I just thought it was crazy how one man in prison can impact a life 2,000 years later. So, if this is what one person did 2,000 years ago, and you can read it, and it impacts your life, imagine what you can do in someone else's life. Imagine what we all can do in someone else's life. So as a way of closing, I want you guys to look back and realize that it does not matter what you've done. It does not matter who has hurt you. Live for God every single day. Don't worry about that person that hurt you 10 years ago. Don't worry about it. You let God handle that. Because that person might get saved. And then you and that person can work together to see more people get saved. Worry about your walk with Christ. And what you need to do to make sure excuse me, that every day 
you put his wants above your own. And that's what it means to be humble, right? You consider your others better than yourself. But yet, we don't want to consider God better than ourselves. Because we put our wants above his. Put God's wants above everything else. And do not stop living for God. I don't care what your situation is. You never stop living for God. Ever. Because the moment that you do is going to be a moment in your life that you will regret. I never want to stop living for God. I never want to be that person to stop. I want to keep going. But of course, I've got stuff that gets in the way all the time. And I can, I can stand up here and give you all these excuses. But you know what? It doesn't matter. So I'm going to have the praise team come up. And I just want you guys to stand up and say, this is me. I am a believer. I love Jesus. And that's who I want to be forever. I don't want to be the person to come up and say, oh, well, you know, I love Jesus, but... I have to fix this thing first. And no, that's not how it is. You come to God and you let God fix it. You let God fix your entire life. He uses someone in prison. Paul was in prison, still had the courage to stand up and get someone saved.
just going to close our service at this time. You know, I was thinking as RJ was preaching, um, in my young Christian life, I had some times where I was having trouble forgiving somebody who had done something to me. And this is what I thought about Onesimus. I thought about, you realize that Paul was free in prison. Onesimus was free even though he was an escaped slave. The question of the book of Philemon is, would Philemon be free? You follow? If Philemon chose not to forgive Onesimus, according to what Jesus says, if you cannot forgive, you cannot be forgiven. The question was, would Philemon be free like Onesimus and Paul? It's very interesting, isn't it? Be free. Be free from the cage of worry, doubt, concern over what people have done before. Let us be free. Like I believe, and Paul did say, God bless him. He gave us the forecast. We don't know the history of it, but he did say, I know you're going to do this. I know you'll forgive him because you're forgiven in Christ. Uh, praise the Lord. The question really was, would, would Philemon be free? So let us be free. Let's pray together, and then we'll be closed. I do want to remind you before we leave, uh, there's a bunch of donuts in the cafeteria. And so if you're a donut eater, uh, they're fruity and Danishy and like that, you make sure you eat one of those before you go so we don't get stuck with them. And I'm not eating any today. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, I, I know that it has been your desire to forgive what mankind has done, that you have paid the ultimate price, that you set the standard for forgiveness for us. I know that even sometimes once we've been forgiven, that we continue to do stupidly, we continue to think uh, our own thoughts, instead of trying to bring our minds in line with what you desire for us. I know that it's hard sometimes for us to be still and know that you are God. I'm grateful that you paid such a dear price, that you made such extreme arrangements that I could be forgiven. And I hope that that's true of everyone in this room, that we would recognize the ultimate price that was paid, the steps that have been taken, the desire that you have to forgive us. And then, Lord, that we would follow your model, your example, to live a life of forgiveness toward others, that we would be set free from our pain, that we would be set free from our previous life by the forgiveness that you have given us, and then also by the forgiveness that we give unto others. Lord, let us be your instruments as we go out from this place, that we may find somebody today while we are still strong, while we are still able, while the words are still on our lips. We'll find somebody to forgive and to to share with them how much you desire to forgive them. Lord, that we would become that instrument in the world. We've been given the keys to the kingdom and the ability to bind on earth what has already been bound in heaven. The ability to loose on earth what has already been loosed in heaven. And you have already made it possible for us to be forgiven. I pray that we would live our lives accordingly. Thank you for the obedience and faithfulness of this body and I pray that it would be much, much more in the future days as we serve you. Go out with us. Watch over us. Give us the opportunity to make us bold to be faithful. Thank you for letting us overcome ice and illness and other struggles. Lord, pray for Carlos for continued healing and strength as he fell this morning and while he was serving. Lord, pray for uh, those who stand here sore today, not mentioning it, not saying a word, because they worked their butt off all week serving you. Those who are tired or sick this morning because they pushed themselves hard loving our God. And we pray for strength and faithfulness and hope as we go out. We look forward to the coming of Jesus, the end of the sufferings of this life. There's a lot of folks suffering. We look for the end of that suffering in the coming of Jesus. But we'll wait for it. 
for when you're ready. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Go you therefore and be the church.